Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I love the sound of children. That's pretty much what this story is all about. You are rewiring our brains and our hearts. You are reminding us of who you are and your good news. Thank you that year after year, we get to return to this chapter in the story. We get to set our faces toward Bethlehem. And I ask, Lord, for every person in the room, regardless of where they may be, spiritually or what they may think about you, that you would open their hearts, that they would look upon the newborn Jesus and be astonished for who he is, for all of us. Do that today. Thank you for this community. It's in your name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome again. Like I said, my name is Russ. This is Christmas at Hope Brooklyn. Um, If it's your first time here, I know uh, Christmas is like one of the few socially acceptable times to go to church or go back to church or answer your nagging friend's invitation to finally come. So uh, I recognize that there's probably a wide spectrum of people here um, in their spiritual journeys, uh, maybe in their understanding or knowledge of of this whole Jesus story. And so I just wanna say thank you for being here. We're so happy that you're here. Um, and, And what I thought, you know, because that's the case, because there is such a wide spectrum of possible uh, opinions and knowledge here. Um, And and obviously I would love, I would absolutely love for everyone here to come back, you know, maybe make 2019 the year of asking deep questions of life and of existence and of meaning. Um, Hope Brooklyn, we say wherever you are in the spiritual journey, there's room at the table. So we really work hard to be a place where it's safe to do just that. But I recognize, I do, that probably you might not be back, all right? And I get that and that's okay. And so what I wanna do today instead is to tell you why it is that I come back week after week. Why it is that we have a community at all. And you might say, well, you come back because you're the pastor. Yes, that's true, that's true. That would be awkward if I just stopped showing up. Uh, But there are other things I could do. And believe you me, there are definitely days when I want to do those other things, but I can't. I talk to people in New York and they find out I'm a pastor and they say, you know, where's your church? And I say, we meet at, we meet at PS 261. And they're like, wait, the, the school? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, wait, how does that happen? I said, well, we started the church and people are just befuddled at the idea that you actually can start a church, right? Like, and it's, it's true. And we do that. And that's weird to start a new community of faith centered around this story of a God who becomes a child. And so what I wanna do today is tell you why it is that I can't get enough of this story. I wanna tell you why it is that I come back week after week after week. The Christmas season, we celebrate one of the two most important chapters in our story that kind of bookend one another. And this is the moment where we say that God has stepped out of heaven and entered in to history, entered into the world in the person of Jesus from Nazareth. We have a theological word for it. 
We call it incarnation, to incarnate. We just said, we, we sang it in one of the lines, incarnate deity. Um, it, it, it's, it's from the Latin in, which means exactly what you would expect to go in, not out, but in, and carne, like carne asada. So in flesh, right? That's an image for you right there. <laughs> so to incarnate is to enter into flesh. To incarnate is to in flesh. It's an astonishing claim that we make that the God of all creation, the supreme being through whom all of us have come to exist, in whom we live and move and have our being, that God has given up his glory and incarnated, entered into the historical story, into our world's history 2,000 years ago. And this person, Jesus, this child, Jesus. There's really nothing like it, truly. I know there are other mythologies that talk about, you know, demigods, half God, half men. Um, there are other religious traditions that have sort of like territorial, um, like gods, demigods, but there's nothing on the scale of what it is that we're claiming in this Judeo-Christian or this Christian story. Because what we're claiming is that in the historical person, the real historical person, same as you and me, of Jesus from Nazareth, we are looking at the supreme being. We are looking at the one from whom all has come. And to a certain degree, that makes sense, especially when you read on uh, later in the story, later on in life, a lot of weird stuff happens through him and around him and from him. And his teaching is unlike anything else. Like this is a guy who has changed world history. And yet he only occupied a very small sliver of the world. He had no position of um, organizational power. There was just something about his presence that was different and he changed the world. So it, it makes sense if we say, oh, this is actually the deity incarnate. But it's still an astonishing claim. And I get that. However, I want to suggest that the concept of incarnation is actually more palatable to us. We see it all the time. And when we see it, it moves us deeply. It does. One of my favorite examples of incarnation comes from um, the, the television show, The Office. Anyone ever a fan of The Office? Yes. Such a great show. Uh, so if, if you don't know it, there's two characters in there, Jim and Pam. And pretty much the first five or six seasons, you're wondering, are they going to fall in love? They are kind of in love. You know, it's their love story. It's burgeoning. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's whatever. Okay. And then they finally get married. It, it's the episode of their marriage. And in the, in the episode, everything is going wrong for Pam. Like, she's five months pregnant, so she doesn't feel comfortable in her dress. Um, she, uh, her, her veil tore as she was walking. Her parents are fighting. She's having to, like, play babysitter for some of the other uh, office characters. Everything is going wrong for her. And she calls Jim. They haven't gotten married yet. And she's downstairs in a room underneath the church. And uh, she's like, I need you to come see me. And so he goes to see her. And uh, he walks in, and he goes, Pam you look so, and she interrupts him. She's like, oh, horrible. And he goes, beautiful. You are exactly as I imagined you would be. And she doesn't believe him. She sort of rolls her eyes at that. And then she starts talking about, listen to all these things that have gone wrong. My veil tore, and it's, my parents are fighting. And Jim is trying to console her. He's trying to be like, Pam, I wish you could see what I see. I wish you could feel what I feel. I love you. 
oh, you look incredible. And she can't hear him. And then in this moment where she's, she starts talking about her veil again, it's like my veil tore and she looks away. Unbeknownst to her, Jim takes a pair of scissors and cuts his tie in half. <laughs> Just cuts it in half. And she, she's shocked. She goes, and then Jim gives this classic like face or whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And Pam just chokes up. And everyone who's watching this chokes up, right? That's incarnation. That's incarnation. Pam is suffering. She's in a distressed situation. And Jim is trying to tell her and reach her, I love you, I'm for you. And she can't hear him. So what does Jim do? He enters into her flesh. He enters into her state. He becomes a distressed outfit wearer. <laughs> he enters in and suddenly her eyes, the, the, the veil around her eyes is cleared and she can see him. She understands his love because they're on the same level. I've shared this story, another example of incarnation. I've shared this story before. I wasn't sure if I should share it again, but the best story should be shared more than once. Um, that's why we're here year after year. <laughs> and uh, so... so um, so my wife and I, um, this is a moment when I sort of really encountered incarnation that's fullest. My wife and I, when we were dating, um, there, there was a night, and, and something about me is I was born with a, a congenital disorder. So I had a lot of issues in my body that required a lot of surgeries. Um, and so I grew up with a complex around them. Um, and of course, as we all do, we, we try to you know, shield them, we protect ourselves, we put forth good stuff. Um, so I did that too. And my wife and I were dating, and and uh, uh, one night we were embracing and she was, she was kissing the left side of my face, which is where all my scars are. And, um, and, and I didn't know this at the time, but she sort of pulled back and she goes, will you stop that? And I didn't know what she was talking about. I hope she wasn't talking about my kissing, but who knows? Um, <laughs> I think we've gotten better or she's incarnated herself and gotten worse. I don't know, all right? <laughs> it works, that's all I'm saying. Um, but she pulls back. And she's like, stop. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, do you know you always do that? Every time I try and kiss the left side of your face, the, face of your, uh, the place of your scars, you don't let me. You either pull my, my lips back onto yours or you start complimenting me. You won't just let me kiss you. And I was stunned. I didn't know I did that. So then when she realized that I was doing it you know, ignorantly, she had me sort of sit there. And then she just began to kiss my scars. And I kid you not. The first time she did it, I wanted to scream out in rage. It's like, I don't need your pity. I don't need it. I know what I look like. I know the suffering. Don't give me your pity. But as she kept doing it without a single word spoken, just kissing these marks of extreme suffering and pain in my life, it began to give way, and I began to mourn. What did she do? She incarnated herself. She said, I'm not going to come to you in the way you think it's going to come. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing that I love you just as you are. You think that you're, you're giving me this, this real version of you, but that's not the real version of you. The real version of you is in a lot of pain and extreme suffering. So, so that you know that I choose you, the real you, that I love the real you, I'm going to channel my love through your broken flesh. I'm going to enter into that flesh. Or perhaps another story of, of how this, this concept of incarnation moves us. Um, the pastor, theologian, mystic, Parker Palmer from Minneapolis. Shout out to Minneapolis in the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, from Minneapolis, he tells the story about his first extreme bout of depression. 
And for some of you who suffer from depression, you realize that depression is one of those things that you know all the answers, you just can't connect to it. You can't feel it. You can't experience it. And so people from the town, from his church, they would come by and they would, they would say, you know, Parker, it's a beautiful day outside. Just go take a walk. That'll be great for you. And as he writes so eloquently, he's like, I know it's great for me. I, I, I get that in theory, but I can't receive it. It's just not getting through. I'm, I just can't feel. And there was one older gentleman from the church named Bill. And Bill said, hey, Parker, I'd like to come by at 4 p.m. Can I come by? Parker said, sure. So Bill came by at 4 p.m. with a basin of water and a rag. And for about 30 minutes, he just washed and massaged Parker's feet. Didn't say a word. He finished and he said, Parker, can I come back tomorrow at four? Parker said, sure. So for the, the next day and for every day that, thereafter, for about a month to two months, Bill would come by at 4 p.m. with a basin of water and a towel and he would just massage and wash Parker's feet. And sometimes he'd ask a question. Many times they just sat there in silence. And Parker said, that got through to me. Why? Because Bill didn't try to communicate his love from another way. He entered into Parker's suffering flesh. He entered in. He met him there. Not advice, not fixing. He couldn't hear it. Presence, entering in, being with incarnation moves us in a way that other things don't. And we read it earlier, but we read it again. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, to be human friends is to suffer, is it not? I mean, we can pretend like it's other things, but ultimately, what is at the core of our humanity? It's a suffering, painful life that will end in death. To be human is to suffer, and suffering primarily comes from feeling disconnected from others. I can't tell you, one of the most painful experiences is to sit with the person who's like your person, in my case is my wife, Anna, to sit with her, to talk with her, to try to work through something, to reach the other, and to still feel so unbelievably lonely. Suffering at its core is this sense of disconnect from one another. And yet, there is nothing we find more unpalatable than to feel disconnected from one another. This separation in our heart's desire more than anything else is to know another and to be known by them, isn't it? That's what we want more than anything. We want to know someone, to know them in their fullness, to know everything about them and to be known by them, to create this beautiful circle, this exchange of love and beloved, love and beloved, well, what if I told you that your heart is telling you the truth? What if I told you 
that the supreme being is love and made this world to love it. That the entire world's history has been this being, this creator's mad pursuit of you, to love you, to be with you. But we can't hear him. We can't hear him like Pam, like me, like Parker. We can't hear because the suffering is so great and the language isn't coming on our level. So we can't hear the prophets that are sent and we can't hear Moses that is sent. And we can't hear the various ways God is saying, I am for you, I love you, I want to be with you. And the truest love to know and be known is an intimacy so deep, you almost don't know where the lover leaves off and the beloved begins, right? It feels so intimate, so deep. It's almost like the two are one. Or we might say, where does the mother leave off and the newborn begin? You can't have one without the other. You can't have a, a newborn suspended in midair. The newborn needs the mother to survive. And it would be an odd picture to just see the mother without the child in her arms. The two are so interconnected. It's as if they are one. Listen. Do you hear it? Do you hear the cries of the newborn child piercing the night sky? Do you hear the pain of new life that has entered into this world? And can you receive the astonishing claim that those cries, that helpless, frail, vulnerable sound is the one who made you? The one who made Mary now needs Mary to hold him so that he will stay alive. That is the essence of our story. The God who is love, who loves so deeply and who can't get through to us through the various ways, entering into our suffering flesh, entering in, being born into the world to be held, to say, if you don't take care of me, I die. And the two become one. You depend on me, and now I depend on you. We are in this together. No red carpet. And think about that. God could have come in any way. No red carpet, no pomp and circumstance, no wise sage entering from the desert. A child born to a teenage girl. And we stare and say, this is our Savior. This is the one who is love. Love incarnate. Love in the flesh. There's nothing like it. Like Jim cutting his tie. Like Anna loving me through kissing my scars. Like Bill washing Parker's feet. All in their own way is the person, the lover saying, I will enter into your flesh and love you right where you are becoming one of you. Listen, do you hear the cries of the newborn? Do you hear it? That is your God and he's come for you. He's come to tell you that you're not alone and you'll never be alone again. The two will become one and dwell in love forever, which is precisely what the name Emmanuel means, God with us. And this is why I come back Sunday after Sunday. 
This is why I come back. Because these moments of incarnation move my soul so deeply. Because our God, the creator behind all that is, has always been an incarnate God. God has always been one with us in our flesh. That is the essence of love. And when we see it, we see home. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You consider the story. There are shepherds who are sort of, everything about this story screams homelessness. There are shepherds who are sort of displaced from their society, kind of marginalized. The angels come to them and say, go. There are wise men who are traveling from the east. They're on a journey. And even the child Jesus, Joseph, his father, Mary, his mother, and the child Jesus born. They're not born in their hometown. There's a census being taken. They have been displaced and we're about to find out they're about to become political refugees and flee to Egypt. The creator, the one with all power, could come in any form he desires, comes in the form of a political refugee on the run. Everything about this story screams homelessness. And yet we look at it and what says in our hearts, this is home. This is the one who is for me. This is the one who made me. The one who made you has been born into the world to be held by you so that you will know that you're not alone. Would you pray with me? God, I, uh, I'm so moved by your story. The creator of all that is. Everything exists through your hand, through your will. And you said your name is love. But love cannot stand apart from their beloved. Love has to enter into their beloved, has to know their beloved so deeply. It's as if they are one. And we are your beloved. Each person in this room is your beloved. But to be human is to suffer. To suffer greatly. So in order to communicate the depths of your love, to restore the relationship with your creation, you entered into the world in a form so vulnerable so suffering, so intimate, it takes our breath away. God has come to love you. God has come to love you just as you are through those scars that you don't think anyone sees, through those scars that you don't think anyone would ever desire to kiss. God has entered into them to love you right there. There is no flesh too ugly for the lips of Christ. And we know that because we hear the cries of the newborn Jesus piercing the night sky. He is for you. 
you will not be alone. We're going to have a song as a time of reflection. So I would ask you just to remain seated where you are and the lyrics will be up. Ponder them, reflect on them as we sing together. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.